Anybody happy to get into God's Word today? Boy, I am too, I am too. Why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and Luke chapter 8. If you got your Bible, Isaiah 40 and Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you uh, follow along uh, on the Bible app, you can actually go to calvary.online, click today's message, all the notes will be there. I want to let you know that revival has begun. We're in, the, we're in the beginnings. We're seeing many people make decisions for Christ. We're seeing many people, uh, lives transformed, going to another level, loving God's word, allowing the seed of God, God's word to change your life. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you just come. You're like, I'm just going to hear a good message. Going to church is the right good southern thing to do. Um, well, let me just tell you, church is supposed to be about more than your than, than a, a southern tradition, okay? Church is about us coming together and Jesus meeting with us and us leaving every week looking a little more like him. Us hearing him and experiencing him and people being saved and healed and transformed by his interaction. And so I want to let you know we're in the beginnings of it. And God is getting us ready as a people. To, to be fruitful in this time of harvest. Back in 2020, God gave me this word. He said, this will mark 2021 out of Isaiah 40. He says, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. You guys ought to have this memorized by the end of this. I'm praying you get this in your, in your spirit. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they will walk and not faint. Do you know who God's talking about? He's talking about you. If you came in here weak today, I got good news. God's promise to you. It says, I've come today to strengthen you. I've come today to lift you to places you couldn't go before. I've come to give you divine uh, uh, assignments uh, that, that you're going to run through those open doors and keep those, those divine uh, uh, appointments that God has for you. And you're going to live in a steadfast spirit. No more up and down. No more wandering back and forth. But there's, there's a way that God does it. And as he spoke to me that we are entering into this season right now, he said this. He said there are four things. And you need to focus on it. came very fast. It said you focus on the seed, the soil, the soaking, and the sun. The seed, the soil, the soaking, and the sun. It came very fast to me, and I knew it was God. So eventually I, I, I wrote it down. I said, okay, God, uh, help us in this time where you are preparing us as a body, where you're increasing us, where you're giving us uh, uh, sudden growth. God, help us and make us ready. And he says, all right, you're going to focus on the seed of God's word first. That's what the seed really is, according to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 8, he says, the seed is the word of God. And then next, we're focusing on the soil, and we're really uh, beginning to wrap that up this week. And then we're going to spend some time on the soaking of God's presence and the warmth of the Son of God that brings us into fullness and maturity, where we actually produce with our lives those things which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that God has some good works prepared in advance for you to do them? Did you know that? Did you know that you sitting with your arms folded at home, legs crossed, you know, feet up in the air condition? By the way, I'm enjoying air condition. At camp, that electricity went out. Oh, bless God, it was easy to call camp off a day early. Oh, I'm like, oh, I feel it in my spirit. It's, I actually feel it from my head to my toe. 
soaking wet. <laughs> you know, and so, so I, you know, you, God's good works isn't you to just plant in the recliner. That, it, it's, that's not the good work that he has for you. He has something for you to do in his kingdom. And the good news is, is that the Spirit of God, in his goodness, is actually making sure that we're ready. Making sure that we're, we're aware of Satan's schemes, that we're aware of what many times the enemy tries to do to keep us from being fruitful. And we're going we're gonna to take, uh, take some time today and look, uh, look carefully at, at, um, at one of these areas that many times can keep us from fruitfulness. But let's look at the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8 verses 5 through 8 says this. These are the words of Jesus. It says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. And some fell on rocky ground, which we heard about last week. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture, no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. Still, other seed uh, fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, this is the part where you need to understand, at first glance, you know, in the big crowd that is happening at this time, those listening in are trying to figure out why a rabbi is teaching about gardening. Why is he addressing gardening? Because at first glance, from a distance, it only looks like he's saying, hey, by the way, it's good to put seed in good soil. And everybody in the crowd is going, duh. And yet, God is saying, listen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then everybody in the crowd is just going, what did we miss? But disciples, people who were close to Jesus, are saying, why? Why did you teach us the parable of the sower? And this is what he said. And if you're a born-again believer here, this applies to you. Just a few verses later, he says this. He says, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To others, those on the outside, those who are not in relationship with God, those who are not discipled, those who are not following Christ, he says, they will hear and not understand. They will see, but they're not going to perceive with their heart. Why? Because, listen to me, disciples get special teaching. And when they pulled in close to Jesus, he said these words. He begins to explain what this parable means. And today we're going to focus on verse 7 that says, Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. When he gives the explanation in verse 14, it says this, The seed that fell among the thorns, this is him explaining it to disciples, stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. In, in Matthew's um, um, uh, account of this passage Verse 22, chapter 13 says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, um, uh, this, uh, this passage today is really, I'm speaking to believers. I am speaking to those who place faith in Christ. 
And, and, and what I'm about to share with you applies to every single person. Because this is the key to actually doing what God has called you to do. If I were to define this heart uh, from this passage, it would be this. It would be a distracted heart. This is a distracted heart. And in the soil of your heart, there are two seeds. If you're, if you're born again and you're in relationship with God, there is a supernatural seed, the seed of the Word of God, which is able to transform, change your life. It leads to salvation. It leads to transformation. I mean, the seed produces. It always produces. Matter of fact, God says in Isaiah 55, My word shall not return to me empty or void, but it will prosper in the thing that I sent it to do. Listen, God's word works. That supernatural seed works. But you need to understand that the soil of your heart not only has a supernatural seed there are some common seeds that get sown into that soil I want to tell you church today this is God preparing us making us ready that the seed that you tend will be the seed that flourishes the seed that you tend will be the seed that flourishes I can remember as a kid you know, we're, I, I'm really a Floridian through and through. I tell everybody I was accidentally born in Georgia. <laughs> so true. My dad was a, a, a union iron worker and carpenter. So uh, back in the, in the early 70s, he was, he was following the work around the United States as there was all this explosion of, of, of growth. And there in Cartersville, Georgia, he was working on the hospital. And, and my mom said, you are not leaving me for 18 months. I am pregnant. And she, he said, all right, well, we'll go to Cartersville, Georgia. So while he was there on a job, I was born in Cartersville, Georgia by mistake. Our home was Florida. And, and most people don't think of Florida as being in the South. I really think of Florida as L.A., Lower Alabama, okay? We're, we're different. We're different. Now, there's a lot of you who are moving here from other places, okay? Uh, listen, there's a couple things we need you to do. We need you to slow down. We need you to pay attention when you're driving. Come on. I'm going to review that one. That's going to be a sermon next one. Pay attention when you're driving. There's lots of things we need to do. But sometimes you need to understand uh, some of the things that mean a lot to us that we heard a lot as kids, okay? Now, my parents, uh, there was, must have been a list of about 20 things that my mom said that I was not supposed to do because if I did them, it would stunt my growth. I know the people online can't tell, but it didn't work. Whatever I was doing, it just, it just kept happening. 
One of the things was, is as a, as a young kid, my dad had this thermos, and he would go out to his job, and every day he's filling up a thermos full of black coffee. Not black coffee out of this, this little foo-foo bag from Seattle, okay? No, no, no. He got his coffee out of a five-gallon tin can that he opened with a can opener and put a plastic lid over it. I don't know who Maxwell is, and I don't know where his house is. But he's got terrible coffee, okay? And there, I remember as a kid, I go up to that black cup, and I, I see my dad drinking it. And they're like, don't drink that. It's going to stunt your growth. You know what I did, right? I drank it. And based on the taste, I believe them. And then later in life, I tasted Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, oh, there was such a lie going on in my life. And uh, so, you know, here's this thing. You know, my, my parents were really just saying, hey, uh, you, <laughs> you especially, son, don't need to be on caffeine. But did you know that there are things in this life that if you consume them, it will stunt your growth in God? It will. It'll keep you from growing. Listen to me, church. This is really important. I believe that the condition of this country is not the fault of the government. I actually believe that it lies squarely on the shoulders of a church that stunted its growth by feasting on all the wrong things instead of being focused on the right things. That's why we are where we, that's why our nation needs revival. And I said it Friday night and it bears repeating again. Just because you're going to heaven doesn't mean you're revived. And it doesn't mean that you're fruitful. And we're going to look today. This is Jesus. Hey, he's saying, I'm going to unfold the schemes of the, the enemy. I'm going to unfold what's going to stop you from growing. And if today you'll grab hold of these principles, I promise you, you're going to enter into a new season of fruitfulness in God. Well, let's, let's look at what these uh, distractions are. Jesus listed them clearly in this passage. The first thing that will really stunt your growth and keep you distracted is being distracted by anxiety. You're distracted by anxiety. You see, in verse 14, he said the word, the seed of the word of God gets what? Choked by life's worries. That word for worry is the same as anxiety. It is, it is, how many of you know when you are worried, you are distracted? You are distracted. You can't focus on what's really important. You're really, uh, you're really focused on something that's coming in the future. You don't know what's coming in the future. You think the worst thing's coming. It's probably not actually coming. And what you're doing is you're actually embracing something that God says that you need to jettison from your life. He said, if you're distracted by worry and anxiety, you are going to experience a choking of God's word in your life. Now, what are life's worries? It bears out asking. Now, uh, there's lots of them throughout the scriptures. I always like to let 
the scripture interpret the scripture. That means that I let the scripture tell me. I want Jesus to tell me what life's worries are. And he did exactly that in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Some of you have been bumping your neighbor already going, what are we going to eat after this service? What shall we drink and what shall we wear? Now listen to this. For pagans run after all these things. People who worship false gods run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Does he know you need food? Yes. Does he know you need water? Yes. Does he know that you need shelter? Yes. Does he know that you need clothing? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. However, being distracted by all of those things will actually choke out the effectiveness of God's word. Here's why. Anxiety is fueled by the thought that God will not supply for me. That's where anxiety's roots are. God won't supply for me. God won't come through for me. There is a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what we think to ourselves. There's a whole bunch of stuff that God did for me. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that God will not be involved in. That's what this lie comes and settles on our hearts. says, God's not going to be involved in, in supplying for me. He's left that to me. And here's what you need to know. That kind of thinking leads to worry. They say this statement, I am on my own. If you're thinking that thought, anxiety is at the door. Worry will be at the door. Now, the answer to this problem of being distracted by anxiety which, by the way, there's nothing noble about worrying. If there's any grandmas in here, any moms in here, and you just say, oh, I'm just worried about so-and-so. I'm just worried about my daughter. I'm just worried about my son. And you're just constantly rehearsing all the bad things in, in your mind that you think are going to happen. Or, oh, I'm just worried about my job. I'm just worried about my business. I'm there's nothing good that's going to happen to you because you worry. There's nothing noble about worrying. Matter of fact, you're shortening your life and you're introducing a toxic emotion which is actually able to make your body sick. But Jesus gives the answer in Matthew 6.33. He says, you don't want to get into that? Don't worry. Here's how you do it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look at this. All these things will be given to you as well. Listen, I want to confront the unbelief in the heart of the church that says God won't come through for me and supply for me. Listen, that word always works. The word works. And you need to say, you need to stop saying, oh, because of my past, because of my, my sin, because of the terrible choices, you know, God's going to come through for me. Well, yeah, right. For you, the cross is broken, right? For you, the blood stopped working, right? For you, that washing wasn't, wasn't thorough, was it? 
You're like, preacher, you have turned inside out. You better believe it because that's what you're believing in your heart. I'm here to tell you that the cross has never stopped working, that the blood is still cleansing, and he's washing, and he qualifies us, and that's why he supplies for us. We got to get out of this. We got to abandon worry and anxiety. Philippians 4 tells us, do not be anxious for anything. Now, I'm going to stop right there because if you deal with anxiety and worry, just reading that scripture made you anxious. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Now I see something I got to do that I don't think I can do. Now I'm worried about the, the fact that I worry. You need to understand that in this verse, it's not just God saying, get rid of something. He is saying, I want you to remove something by replacing it. I want you to remove it and replace it. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Oh, I love this. And the peace of God. Oh, the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, he says, oh, you got to get rid of worry, but you can't just, just throw down worry without replacing it with prayer and, and saying, oh, God, I'm bringing these things to you. I'm not going to be distracted by, by worry and anxiety I'm going to be given to you in the place of prayer and because the word works listen to me the word works every time I'm going to say it again the word works every time look at your neighbor and say the word will work for you if you will get into the place of prayer, you will experience a peace that passes all understanding. You get into God's presence, and suddenly, I'm telling you, God's army shows up. That's what it means. It says peace. It says, what is it? It Guard. That word guard means it's a garrison. Oh, it's a great defense. Listen to me. It's time. That we as the church stop letting common seeds choke a supernatural seed. And the way we do that is we remove worry and anxiety and we replace it with faith in God. And God said, my word will work. I'm sending peace to you. You say, I tried that. How long? Well, I prayed for five minutes. And I woke up two hours later. Try again. That two hours, that's called sloking. You're kind of sleeping and soaking in God's presence. And God's like, oh, that's kind of cute. They fell asleep in my lap. <laughs> All right, go again. Go again. So we remove and replace. Because anxiety will. You'll be that person when you're anxious and you're worried about what I'm going to eat. What I'm going to wear, what I'm going to have, you know what you're doing? You're just navel gazing. I got some more lint, God. And 
Let me just tell you, that's why Jesus said, look up. Look up. The harvest is ready. You're saying, yeah, it's somewhere else because I got some lint. Got to need a new shirt, God. What am I going to eat, God? And you're just looking down, and you're worried about me. You're worried about, uh, is God going to come through for me? And you'll never enter into the fruitfulness that God has for you living worried about you. It's time that you lift your eyes and let the concern and the love of God begin to pour out of you to others. others. And know God's got me. I sure want them to know that he's got them too. He's got salvation they need, healing they need, and supply they need. And it's all found in Jesus. This is how you get out of anxiety. Let me give you uh, the second one. You're uh, distracted by delusion. You need to write that down. There is a choking that happens to the word of God in the heart when a believer is distracted by delusion. In Matthew's account, it says this, that it is the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of wealth, Matthew 13, 22. And deceitfulness means delusion, but it means deception. Let me to help you to understand deception. Deception is not knowing you are deceived. You don't know it. That's why it's deception. You think it's right. You step into it. And perhaps by the grace and the goodness of God, you then realize, wait, I was deceived. There's a lot of people who are who are distracted by a delusion. And it's a delusion of wealth. I'm going to tell you what it sounds like, what this this delusion has a voice. And here's what it sounds like. Many of you have heard it. I know I've heard it. Sounds like this. If I only had more money, I wouldn't have this problem. Man, if I just, I, I just had more wealth, then I could take care of this or that. Now, there may be a shred of truth in that, but what the deception is, is that what you are really saying is in your heart is, I trust wealth more than I trust God. And you don't know that that is what you're saying. You don't know that's what you're saying. You just, you just think, you know, no, I, I, I just... I need money to come through for me. Here is why this is very important that the Holy Spirit would expose this. It's it's back in Matthew 6. Jesus spoke of this. While this this is not a sermon on on giving, it, it touches on something that I want you to understand that will keep you from being unfruitful in God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said... No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, listen to this, God and mammon. If you have a modern version, it might just say riches. Now listen, I don't, I, I, it does mean riches, but that word riches 
is actually referring to riches personified. The word mammon, is, its root is, it, the word is, Cald, it, it, it comes, uh, it's in Aramaic, and it comes from this Chaldean root. And the Chaldean root of this word, here's what it means. The God of wealth. It's the God of wealth. In that culture, which was full of witchcraft and full of pagan things, mammon is a false god. And I want to tell you today that the delusion is you think you are trusting in God, but you are actually trusting in mammon. And that spirit is looking to make you a servant. How do I know that? He says you can't serve to Masters. Mammon is looking for slaves. Anybody ever felt mammon try to enslave you? Riches try to enslave you and ensnare you in your mind. Oh, I have. I felt it. But God says, oh, there is an answer. There's an answer. There's an answer to, to this seducer, this distractor. It's really good. It's found in Matthew 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, listen, you got to deal with this heart issue. You got to make sure that these common seeds aren't coming and this spirit that rests on money. By the way, did you know that there is a spirit on all money? On all money, there's a spirit. It's either the spirit of mammon or it's the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I get the Holy Spirit on my money? By saying, God, everything I have belongs to you in your kingdom. You say, I'm going to return the tithe to you. I'm going to give to you. And by the way, if you ever say something like this, God, 10% of what I have belongs to you. You know what that is? Mammon. Dressed up in a religious costume. I'm here to tell you today, all that you have is God's. All that you're managing right now is God's. It all belongs to him. Read Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And everyone in it. it. It's all his. So what do we do? We say, we say, okay, God, I'm putting my treasure in the kingdom of God. And he says, when you do that, your heart, remember that's the place that's crowded out, that gets distracted, that gets choked. Your heart then what? Follows your treasure into a place of health where it is not submitted to a spirit called mammon. That's good. That's revelation, and that can help some people. Now, the last one is, is very simple. The last unfruitful distraction is when you're distracted by desire. You're distracted by desire. Now, in Luke 8, 14, it says, in the King James, it says it this way, the pleasures of this life. It's the pleasures of this life. 
that we're really thinking about the pleasures of this life. Now, um, uh, in, in Mark 4, 19, where, where the parable of the sower is explained, which we really haven't been looking at Mark's explanation very much, but I thought it was uh, really important for us to get perhaps this view. In this explanation, it is the desire for other things. The desire for other things. That the desire for other things other than the kingdom of God can actually choke the fruitfulness of God's word in your life. Let me say it to you this way. It's the pleasures of this life. That's what it says. This life. Living for the temporary will choke out the eternal. Did you know that there are eternal pleasures that you can experience right now as a believer in Christ? There are eternal pleasures. You say, what, what is that? There is nothing like the eternal pleasure of being in God's presence. He says, the scripture says, at your right hand, there are what? Pleasures evermore. In his presence, in heaven. He says, it is his presence that brings pleasure to heaven. I don't know about any of you. Perhaps you've got the wrong motivation for wanting to go to heaven. If you don't like to worship here on earth, you are going to be one sad soul in heaven. <laughs> Actually, there is one space for you. I've read the book of Revelation. I'm just letting you know. You get 30 minutes. There's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. The rest, all worship, all the time, everybody delighting in his presence. You kind of think of heaven like, I'm going to go to heaven. I've got my mansion just over the hilltop. My mansion's got a fence. I don't see nobody else. Nobody's coming into my land, my space. You've got the wrong idea of heaven. You think heaven is a vacation. Or maybe you just think, I just want to go to heaven because I'm trying to avoid fire. Okay, that's kind of smart. <laughs> I get it. But I want to tell you, there's not only fire in hell, there's fire in heaven. And that fire sits on the throne. He's an all-consuming fire. And I promise you, there will be no one who is enamored by their house in heaven. And everybody will be saying, I want to get around that throne. I want to see the lamb that is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. I'm not living for something temporary on this planet. If while I'm here, I can taste the presence of God and know that one day I'm going to step into heaven and get even more. Oh, I'm going to live for the eternal. I'm going to live for the eternal. You live for the pleasures of this life. It's temporary. It will choke out the, the fullness of God's work in your life. You say, you sure about that? Yeah. The Apostle Paul, writing to his spiritual son, in describing the atmosphere that he would be ministering in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, says it this way, but know this, 
So if he tells his son to know it, then we ought to know it. In the last day, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Listen to these words. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's the contrast. Those two are connected. You love pleasure, you're not loving God. You love the pleasures of this life. It's not an expression of loving God. And listen to this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He says, from such people turn away. You understand how important that is? When he says, in the last hour there will be people who love pleasure. Rather than love God. And here Jesus is saying listen. This is the scheme of the devil. This is how he's going to try to keep you choked out. Keep you ineffective. He is going to keep you focusing. I just want a little pleasure in life. And by the way if you're wondering. God delights. Believe this is Psalm 35. uh, God delights in the prosperity of his servant. Did you know that? That's good news. He delights in you prospering, but he won't have, he won't share the affection that belongs only to him. If you live for temporary pleasure, I promise you, you'll be ineffective and choked out. So what's the answer for a distracted heart? I love it when God puts it in one chapter. One chapter, and we're really going to look just at a couple of verses from that chapter. Here's the answer. It's all found in Psalm 27. Here it is. For the, the antidote for this heart, it's like a hoarder. It's like it's like got way too much stuff in it. It's all crowded out. It's distracted. The answer is, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I'm going to give you something really fast here. This is how you keep your heart tended from the common seeds that all of us face. We're all going to have to deal with the worries of this life. We're all going to have to deal with the deception that comes with relying on money. And we are all going to have to say, I am going to be a lover of God rather than a lover of pleasure in this world. Here's how you deal with it. You desire and seek his presence. Notice what it says. He says, this one thing I've desired and, and that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You desire and seek his presence. Listen church. The presence of God changes everything in your life. The presence and nearness of God changes everything. And if you want to make sure that your heart isn't distracted. And that that the word of God will produce fruit. You say one thing I desire. One thing I seek. God I'm seeking your presence. I'm seeking you. Everything else he's going to take care of. But you as the church. As ones who are being made ready for an end time revival. An end time labor. Ones who are are going to proclaim the gospel. And see hundreds coming to the 
the kingdom, you're going to be like, oh, I just live for your presence, God. He goes on, though, in this passage, it says that you would seek and desire, listen to this, the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord. You say, what is the beauty of the Lord? Oh, this is the knowledge of the Holy One. This is knowing Him. I am going to seek and I'm going to desire and seek the beauty of the Lord. Oh, I want to know His holiness. I want to know His goodness. I want to know His grace. I want to know His mercy. I want to know His movement. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to live in the knowledge of God. Some of us, when we got born again, we thought that was the end. I'm, I'm just here to let you know that was just the beginning. You spend your whole life getting to know a God that ultimately we will only fully know when we step into eternity. You say, oh, I'm going to give myself to knowing him. And then you desire and you seek his hand in your life. That's what it says. He says, one thing I desire, that will I seek. I will inquire in your temple. I'm going to inquire in your presence. He says, I'm going to seek for your hand in my life. Not anything that I could produce in in my natural strength or my natural wisdom. I'm going to desire and seek your hand, oh God. So I'm going to inquire and say, oh God, I pray that you would move in my family's life. I pray that you would redeem and save and deliver. And then all of a sudden you see the hand of God begin to move and shift hearts. You're like, oh God, I'm asking you, Lord, to supply all of my needs. And he says, yes, I'll do that according to my riches in glory. God says, oh, that you would just inquire of me. And it would keep your heart right. You say, are you sure about that? The last two verses sum up very well this work, that this attitude, its effect on the heart, it sums it up. It says this, I would have lost heart He said, my soil would have been corrupted. I would have lost heart if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if you want a prophetic message today, then it boils down to this last verse. And it says this, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall, uh uh-oh, strengthen your Right there in the soil, in Psalm 27, I will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And it goes back to Isaiah 40. Church, I'm here to tell you, if you want to live in the fullness of what God has for you, it will, be, it will become, I'm not going to be distracted by anxiety. I'm not worried about me. God's got me. He's with me. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. He's walking with me. He already knows what I need. I simply say, give us this day our daily bread. And God says, I've got it for you right here. 
And you just begin to say, oh God, everything I possess, everything I steward, God, it's yours. It's all yours in the kingdom. And then you put your treasure there and your heart's in the kingdom. And your heart's thinking about missions. And your heart's thinking about a young generation coming to know Christ. And your heart's thinking about Citrus County coming into a new place of favor with God because many people are being born again. You're like, oh God, yeah, you can use my wealth to see the increase. You can use the wealth that you've given to me to steward. God, you could use it for your kingdom, and then you could just say, Okay, God, I'm done seeking pleasures that never satisfy. God, I'm gonna seek eternal pleasures on this side of eternity. I'm not seeking the pleasures of this life, I'm seeking the pleasures of eternity, knowing His presence, walking with Him, and seeing His glorious work in your life and the others that you're called to minister to. That's the heart. That produces. Church, I want to tell you today, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in our heart. And it's the goodness of God that says, hey, let me put my hand on that. Let me do this work in you. And then 